Hello and welcome to the PR department podcast. You're through to your host Katie Braden and this is episode 32. So fun fact, we are a day late. Um, Usually my podcasts go live on Thursdays. It's Friday and another fun fact, I'm actually recording at 10.55am and this podcast will literally be like a click and go situation where I record and then I upload straight away which I don't think I've actually ever done in the history of this podcast um so (laughs) the reason being some fun logistics um so I have this thing where like I pour a ton of energy into like my day-to-day work like my clients my PR work and I'm constantly like any other PRs out there or any other freelance business owners in general will get it when I say like we are constantly moving and shifting like I am doing backflips front flips like handstands cartwheels all day long so when it comes to any like extra and I'm doing quotation marks with my fingers here extra stuff that I do i.e my own social media this podcast my taxes stuff like that um I like to have like a very specific system and if I have to deviate from that system it like causes me mental crumble um so I basically from the dawn of time have been recording on my old laptop my podcast on my old laptop um don't ask me why doesn't make sense but that's what I've been doing and as I just said any change makes me crumble outside of all the change that I do day to day so you would think it would be the most simple switch to switch from my old laptop to my new laptop no she didn't have the mental capacity um so this week has been absolutely wild I've been back to back to back and I had a small gap on Wednesday to record this podcast um I plug my microphone into my laptop ready to go and I get the dreaded um this app is not supported by your iOS level anymore which basically means that my laptop is too old it's died to death you need to get over it and move on um so I then had to order a thingy majiggy I don't even know what it is an adapter (laughs) hello she's in the room happy friday um an adapter to plug into my new laptop because can we just like take a second to discuss how absolutely outrageous it is that there's no usb ports on the new macbooks i know it's been this way for a while i know i'm making myself sound like a dinosaur but i just feel a certain type of way about it and i felt the same way when they took away the dvd ports like my old laptop when i first started in pr um I so we're totally off topic here but I'm going to tell you anyway because it's a cute story when I first started in PR um I had absolutely no money um so I bought myself a vintage um MacBook off of eBay and it had a DVD port like that's how old it was like it wasn't that I was working in PR at the time of DVD ports it's the fact that I could not afford a new laptop so my laptop had a DVD port and I thought that was really cool because I have the Sex and the City box sets on DVD so it meant that I could watch those on my laptop (laughs) um but I think everybody else in the office was giving me bombastic side eye anyway now you know everything about my life we're all caught up great um let's delve into the episode so um this episode is a bit of a different one because I'm basically going to recite (laughs) 
information. Hopefully it's more interesting than I just made it sound. Um, but basically I've been really into this podcast recently called In Vogue, um, the 2000s. If you love fashion, PR, like the business of it all, like the behind the scenes, it is an absolutely fantastic podcast. Like it really is a treat and you feel like you kind of shouldn't be listening to it in a way because it is like they are giving you all of the behind the scenes. Like they have interviews with like original photographers, original designers. Like literally last night I was listening to a podcast where it's just an interview with John Galliano about like his career and it just feels like wow I cannot believe I'm getting this content for free like it really is amazing um but they have an incredible episode about influencers and bloggers from a fashion perspective of course um but I wanted to basically retell the story that they map out in the podcast um from a PR perspective giving my own sort of opinions on it and view on it but I wanted to recite the story to you because I think it's a kind of, number one, it's a slice of like super interesting modern history, I feel, coming from the PR field, specializing in influencers, not that I'm biased. But I think if you're listening to this podcast, you might not know the story or you might know the story and have forgotten it. I was the latter. Like I knew how influencers came to be. Like I was there, I was in the era. Um but I had like erased it from my brain and when I was listening to this podcast I was like oh my god yeah it did happen like that how wild um some facts in there I actually didn't know and considering like my job I was like wow if I don't know that my listeners won't know that so I wanted to share these things with you um so I do recommend that you go back and listen to the whole in vogue the 2000s podcast series it's incredible but specifically the episode on bloggers and the rise of influencers so basically I think this is going to be mega interesting on how we sort of got here in terms of the world that we live in now where content creation and being an influencer is an actual job um whereas the interviews in the in the Vogue podcast they lay out really quickly that bloggers and like street style and like people who were doing Instagram when it first started were really like mortally uncool like it was really embarrassing to be seen to be doing this stuff and the people who kind of stuck at it out of sheer love you know have become like some of the biggest well-known like long-lasting names in the sort of influencer sphere so I'm so glad that being mortally uncool has paid off for them because like that's great um but yeah it wasn't like a cool thing to do um so let's go back to the very beginning so how um it usually worked and it's really um it's it's a great idea to kind of base this around fashion shows because there's a real really clear system and like a hierarchy that reflects the way that the rest of the industry works sort of like press wise media wise so fashion shows you know you would have your front row which is majorly important um and it would always be filled with the most important people to designers which at the time were editors buyers you know that kind of thing like very serious people who had influence over what was good and what wasn't in the industry right so then you had your photographers so photographers traditionally were there to take pictures of the runway like they're traditionally at a runway show like this is the stuff that you don't get to see there's a catwalk 
obviously you've got your two um, sets of seating either side and then at the end of the runway is like a photographer pit which you never see because obviously you see it from the perspective of the photographer but the photographer pit is just full of photographers and basically if you have like for example a Vogue editor sitting in the front row you will have a Vogue editor in the photographer pit taking their own content um that's generally how it would work so it's not just like a free-for-all like all the photographers have like a specific reason for being there um so they would take their pictures on the end of the catwalk so how these pictures would look is very much like Vogue runway is today where you see the look the model on the runway boom that is how it would be um so these runway shows were traditionally very closed so even though you had these photographers taking like runway shots or whatever um like they wouldn't necessarily be published anywhere until like weeks months afterwards um let's not forget fashion week runs six months ahead so you would have like you know your autumn winter collection showed in the summer etc etc so in hindsight there's kind of no reason for consumers to see the picture straight away but it's quite hard to think about that because obviously now we have things like Vogue runway so as soon as the runway show happens basically we see the entire collection online that wasn't a thing like online it was not a thing this is the rise of the internet people the internet wasn't really around especially not for the purpose of sharing fashion imagery so how we would usually see runway shows is like weeks or months after in the form of a designer lookbook um so a lookbook is a tangible like actual printed book that is put together by the designer to show the collection and to present the collection this is usually to present the collection to stylists, buyers, stockists, you know, like the behind the scenes people. It's not generally for consumer consumption. So the consumer actually wouldn't see the collection until it was essentially available to buy. So that is how it would generally work. I know like I'm really stating the obvious here, but I feel like we have to sort of gloss over the history to kind of make sense of the story um so it was very closed um as you can imagine and it was a very sort of elitist industry it was an elite sport um and what was really interesting that they discussed in the podcast was how people used to dress for fashion shows so obviously now we have like people turn up to fashion week with like looks like they are dressed by designers like the people who are sitting in the front row are dressed by the designers they have a whole team like it's a whole thing like half of the runway show is happening outside the venue with you know the people showing up basically like modeling the collection in real life essentially before you even get to the runway show and you see the actual presentation um but back then you know these people weren't meant to be seen like the people who are sitting in the front row whilst they're extremely important this is very elite and very closed so people are not taking pictures of them like they're just turning up seeing the show and then going home like that is the vibe so whilst they were dressed fashionably obviously because they're editors buyers etc um they weren't dressed in looks like i know you'll know what i mean and i don't need to explain that further um so somebody who's really really prominent in the rise of influencers and bloggers is the founder of the website Jack and Jill um I personally was obsessed with Jack and Jill like it was like the one website tab that I would like constantly go to like it was a source of 
complete inspiration for me and basically the photographer behind Jack and Jill was more interested in how the designer's clothes were worn in real life outside of a runway context which is really interesting because obviously based off of what I just said we were seeing these collections you know styled on like tiny models in a runway environment and there was no like translation as to like how the average person would wear this or stylus or you know how it would look on the street versus in a runway setting. So that's what he was interested in. So he started um, photographing. (laughs) Oh dear. He started photographing people going into these very exclusive fashion shows. So the founder of Jack and Jill was not necessarily like he didn't have a press pass to be in the photographer pit in the show because obviously he's not attached to any magazine he's just an independent sort of street style photographer street style photographers weren't a thing by the way like this is very sort of new at the time so he wasn't allowed inside the show so he would just turn up outside the venue and photograph people going in and as I said like people are not turning looks but they're still like very fashionable people and they are wearing pieces sort of integrated into a sort of more normy sort of way um and then obviously with the rise of the internet he just started uploading these online to the blog Jack and Jill um so something that Jack and Jill also does incredibly well and is really well known for is shooting everything in um portrait so fashion we see a lot of landscape um Someone said in the podcast which I find absolutely fascinating and it's the most like simple concept But we see things in landscape, like when we're looking around, our experience of the world is in landscape, not in portrait, which I was like, oh my God, I've never thought of that before. Like if there are any creatives listening, like anyone who's in like image composition, isn't that such an interesting thought? Anyway, I digress. Um, So he shoots everything in portrait and he was really interested in the, um, the details of things. So if you go and look up Jack and Jill now, if you're not familiar with the work, he would pick up like you know like a detail of a ju- the jewelry or like the fold of a collar or like an embellished pocket you know something that if you were meeting your friend for dinner and they were just wearing an outfit like those details would be missed but he would pick up on those things and like really do these be- most beautiful like romanticized versions of these like quite simple outfits worn on fashionable people so that was jack and jill huge huge mover and shaker in this world who was essentially one of our first successful street style photographers before they were a thing another great example of someone emerging at the time was um Susie Bubble if you don't know Susie Bubble and you work in fashion I'm sorry I can't know you um she was one of the first ever people to document her own style and her own fashion exploration on her blog. So basically she was just kind of like finding her style, like she loved clothes and she would just document it. Like she makes a joke on the podcast about how she was like constantly taking like these really informal, like quite unflattering mirror selfies, like before mirror selfies were even a thing. Like imagine the concept is amazing. Um, So yeah, she was doing that um and you know she was gaining an audience because people were invested in her exploration of fashion and her very casual like normie 
sort of version of events and obviously there's a huge market for people out there who love fashion but they are not in this elitist circle so they want to explore for themselves and they want that you know they're interested in this like normal version curation of being involved in fashion which Susie Bubble was obviously doing and showing on her website. Um, So another thing that they talk about in the podcast which is really interesting and it's funny how we just forget things, isn't it, that happened in our own like human history. But when websites weren't really a thing, like they highlight how high-end brands would have a website, like just for the sake of like, oh, just having it just in case. But it wouldn't be a functioning e-com website. It would just be a holding page with like the brand logo. Like as soon as they said that on the podcast, I was like, oh my gosh, yes, I remember this. Where like, you would google a brand and click on their website and it would literally just be their logo or just like a campaign image like you couldn't shop the website it was just a website like non-functioning remember oh my god remember when we used to do that like the days before e-com wild um but basically people who were posting online and utilizing their websites and like you know the digital space which brands were not doing at this time um, the brands were starting to see major sales. So for example, like Jack and Jill or the early bloggers like Susie Bubble would post something on their website and the brands were seeing direct sales. Like I think one of the ones that is discussed on the Invoke podcast is a piece of Isabel Morant where they posted like a t-shirt or a trainer or something and the sales just went wild and they sold out. Like they post a picture of a t-shirt on their blog and it sells out crazy concept and the designers and the brands were like oh my god this is wild because especially something that is like a high ticket item you don't see that very often well you didn't at that time but this was how it was happening um so the brands are clocking on to this and they're like oh these people you know, they're paying attention to these people, not because they think they are good or because they have something to offer, but because they're making sales. Like, let's not forget, this business comes down to sales and the street style photographers and the people who had blogs were the ones making sales. So obviously they had to pay attention. So this next fact is something that I actually didn't know and I'm not afraid to admit it because I'm just going to say it. I didn't know this. Um, the first ever brand to invite bloggers and street style photographers to a fashion show was Dolce & Gabbana. Isn't that wild? I mean, I am not a fan of Dolce & Gabbana. I wouldn't personally buy them myself. Um, But I do think some things that they've done in the industry have been like particularly groundbreaking this being one of them so apparently how it was set up where they were mixed in with the editors in the front row which as you can imagine caused disgruntlement like but the way that they did it so it was like every other person was a blogger or a street style photographer um so it was like editor blogger editor street style photographer if that makes sense um And the way that they did it as well, they set it up so that the street style photographers and the bloggers all had laptops in front of their seats. So it was like a spectacle. So like it was part of the performance, like part of the runway, having these bloggers and street style photographers there that had access to the digital world and they were almost like reporting live from the runway, which is something that print publications obviously 
had never done and weren't doing at the time. Like Vogue Online did not exist. Vogue Runway did not exist. It was the print magazine and that was like job done, you know, jobby complete. Um, So this really like ruffled feathers because front row seats that would have traditionally been allocated to you know press editors buyers you know important business people 50% of those now went to bloggers and street style photographers which is really crazy to think like where we are now you know Gucci's last show also caused a stir because they had their influencer pit which was um so the runway was like circular and they had an influencer pit which was essentially their front row which was just a circle all influencers like exclusively influencers and then the circle behind was all editors and buyers and stockists and people were like this is crazy um but also like we've been doing this for like years now and people still hate the fact that influencers are on the front row um but they're still making sales so you know um so yeah you have print publications um who are now in a bit of a sticky position because they have to quickly acknowledge that this form of press that they've been doing since the dawn of time has to adapt hence the birth of vogue runway vogue.com etc etc i mean i'm using vogue as an example here for all press but this was the case for every single magazine every single newspaper anybody who was anyone in publishing they had to pivot and they had to pivot fast vogue did they pivoted fast you know they got the vogue runway vogue.com like they made their own stamp on the digital market very quickly other magazines did not and that's where we see like you know Marie Claire going bi-annually because they can't they don't want to do monthly mags in the style folded you know like tons of magazines have folded and I honestly believe it's because they were slow off the mark to adapt and put money and assets into their digital format you know even up until a few years ago digital journalists were still being paid less than the print journalists and it's like hang on a second (laughs) like you know it should be at least split 50 50 no like it, it should at least be the same um but anyway that's a whole other topic of conversation um so this was a struggle for years and I think is sort of like an underlying struggle still to this day that press don't see bloggers and street star photographers as their equals because when you think about it from a press perspective like to be an editor back in the day you had to have like worked your way up in a magazine for like years and years and years like you could have been working at Vogue for 20 years and still not be the editor you know you've, it's, it, it's a real reflection of like corporate America and how it works like working your way up the ladder um you know and grinding for those promotions and staying at the title for the longest and all that jazz so like the people who have made it to like Anna Wintour level have really like quote-unquote paid their dues whereas you've got your street style photographers and your bloggers who all they've done is document their stuff that they like online and some of them have just blown up overnight and then they're awarded a front row seat at Dolce & Gabbana you know so like the editors are kind of like what the hell I've slaved away for 30 years to get this front row seat and now we've got this person next to me with a laptop who's been taking street style pictures and posting them online for all of like a year so yeah it's just different and I feel like there is still like a lot of animosity in the industry around that how like 
your influencers can literally just pop up out of nowhere. And we're seeing the same thing now, actually, within the influencer world, where you've got the influencers who have been doing it for like 10 plus years, like your OGs, versus like TikTokers, like people like Alex Earl and like Michaela Neguera who have literally like blown up overnight and the influencers who have been at it for 10 years and like built like a a YouTube audience or whatever which takes time are sort of looking at them like oh so you get the brand deals now and you've been doing this all of five minutes like it's the same thing it's the same thing but the time frame is kind of getting shorter and shorter every time so that's just like really interesting like an interesting observation like I remember there was a time where um when you were putting together like press events and like launches you had to keep influencers and press separate because they hated each other so much well actually that's a lie more press hated influencers so you could never do like for example like a PR launch dinner and invite press and influencers to the same thing like usually and this was literally up until a few years ago as well like brands would do this where they would have like a press breakfast which was exclusive for journalists and then they would have like an influencer event in the evening you know, like they would keep them separate, which it's always just kind of been like a thing in the industry. And that was that. So yeah, that's super interesting. But that's kind of where it comes from is those spots on the front row and how it was like, you know, given away to influencers and bloggers. Oh, that was my calendar telling me I need to do something. (laughs) Welcome to my world. Um, so yeah, and then it started to move into um, money, distribution of money, which obviously is hugely important in any industry and, you know, it's no different here. So when it came to allocating budget for ad space, this is where it really got spicy. So, you know, blogs like Jack and Jill and Susie Bubble, brands were understanding that they could place ads on these people's blogs and it was going to make the money and their conversion was going to be high which is all the brand cares about right versus the thousands millions of dollars that they're putting into print advertising that is more like brand association and not necessarily like a big selling tool it was definitely a bigger selling tool at this time because people were still shopping from print now not so much at all so hence how we've then seen like the sort of historical decline in the effectiveness of print ads and also brands choice choices to place print ads you know like most people are not interested these days and they're more focused on like digital conversion this is where it all comes from um but from brands realizing that they could take up ad space and these bloggers realizing that they could essentially sell ad space is the birth of the sponsored post which is crazy right like when you think about you know, we accept and view sponsored posts with such ease in our day-to-day lives. And it was really interesting for me to stop and kind of think, okay, where did this come from? Like, hashtag ad was not always in my life. Like, when did she appear? This is the birth of the sponsored post, the hashtag ad. You know, having ads run in blogs were the designer's way of getting you know exact conversion and sort of answering a call when it came to where their sales were coming from so obviously this made the animosity between journalists and bloggers even greater because not only are they losing their front row seats they're losing their ad spend you know kicking them where it hurts in the cash um 
So yeah, that is kind of the nugget of the very beginning of influencers and sponsorships and ads and this sort of birth then of influencers that we see today, content creators being having, you know, being a proper job and also the shift that journalists had to make and press houses had to make to launch their digital platforms. Like that's basically where it all comes from which I was super interested by and you know even if it's stuff like that you 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 know before because like for me I did live through this era so I did I you know it's a lived experience but it's something that I've not really taken stock of and thought about in a while so I really thought that you I really hope that you found it interesting and that you maybe learned something new um but yeah that was the episode for today and I will see you next time